welcome back to the Let's Call It Nothing podcast, where we discuss all things fangirl. We are back with a new season. We are talking about the A Court of Thorns and Roses series by Sarah J. Mass. We're in the fairy business right now. We're going to have to say the acronym because that's such a mouthful yeah. to say. We're going to call it ACOTAR or ACOTAR, however it comes out. SJM. SJM, ACOTAR. There's just a lot of words happening. Yeah. Um, a lot of words we can't pronounce. A lot of, y'all be ready. This is fantasy. This is fairies. This is other things. Fairy tale retellings. Okay, our personal experience with the series. So I got the first book like right around the time it came out. I did not finish reading it till over a year later. And this was like 2015 and 2017, I think. I decided last year. I'm so distracted right now. I'm what sorry. I was looking for? for my phone because I was going to like check my timeline. Oh, okay. Uh, last year, I decided that I wanted to read further in the series because I kept on seeing stuff about it. Spoilers, basically. And so I reread Akatar and like paid attention to very specific things and specific people that I was looking forward to. And then just like flew through the rest of the series early last year. And then I've been pushing for us to read it now. I don't even remember where you were at. We were talking about A Court of Thorns and Roses and... No. You're, <laughs> I'm getting to the other part. Tale. You were, yeah, you were going over no, your. I'm done. You're done. Yeah. So you're just stalling for me because I had to find my phone and then I couldn't find my phone and apparently I hadn't had it in like hours <laughs> since like nine, which is kind of impressive. I'm very proud of myself. I know. I was like, how is it still in here? Okay, so Kaylin been talking about this series for a while. And I was like, you know what? I'm going to give it a go. But I didn't remember anything she said because... I spoiled the shit out of it, she, she did. So I apparently started in... I don't know if I wrote down the days. I read this book in three days. Wild. Mm-hmm. Back to our Twilight days, eh? <laughs> yeah. And I absolutely loved it. And then the floodgates came crashing down, and I'll explain that later, <laughs> of the memories of what Caitlin said. Talking to both of you yesterday about your perspective of reading it the first time and being like, she didn't talk about any of this. <laughs> it's so funny. <laughs> I really like the first book, but yeah, that's my story. So this is still fresh because I finished it February 4th, I believe. Yeah, it would have been around February 4th that I finished it. And once I picked it up, I couldn't stop reading it. You even read the novella. We're not going to go over that right now. So it's going to be a whole bonus so episode. So Peyton's read the novella, but she hasn't read Silver Flames. Flames, yeah. yeah. I've read Silver Flames, but never read the novella. Because I don't read novellas. I think they're irrelevant. Because they are. Some of them are good. And that's as far as I'm going to get into it. Because I could do, I could go on a <laughs> whole episode just ranting. Okay, Reva. Well, my experience happened yesterday. Exactly. <laughs> as in, I've heard about this for months from them. And then plenty of it has randomly popped up on TikTok. And then here I am. I technically did start reading it before yesterday. But I read the chunk yesterday. So we're going to count yesterday instead. I read six pages before yesterday. So that is was- it like 150? It's 166 pages. 166 yeah. pages that we're doing mm-hmm. within to the like, first, not a lot two, first two episodes. Yeah, mm-hmm. Not a lot has happened at all. Mm-mm. You're just going to hear me uh, talking about how bored I am throughout so much of this book. And I love this. Like, uh, It's so good to me. I'm like, I mean, I talked about yesterday to Peyton, like, why I'm bored. And I'll get mm-hmm. into that. About Akatar. This was written by Sarah J. Mass, obviously. 
It is a four book series, though some people say it's a five because they count the novella as a whole ass book. Don't. And it's not. It's not a whole ass book. But I do refer to Silver Flames as number five. Mm hmm. Just that's how a lot of people see it. So that's just what I call it. Um, the first book came out in 2015. Uh, she was released in the Throne of Glass series at the time. And then she came out with this particular series. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, I used to read her blog. Like that was dating back to like 2007, 2008, whenever she was first writing these books. Mm-hmm. So I already knew about like all the books she's released at this point, all the series. Uh, so it was originally inspired by Beauty and the Beast, which you'll really be able to see. And also East of the Sun, West of the Moon. Know nothing about that one. And Tamlin. Uh, and then later on is more of a Hades Persephone retelling. And we'll see that as we continue on in the series. Uh, and then this was released before there was such thing as, well, there was such thing that wasn't really established, the new adult category Category. of books so it was classified as young adult so our thoughts on that it amazes me that this is would ever be considered a young adult genre book earlier when i was doing um i was asking that question about censorship amongst bitchy bookworms somebody sent me a blog where they talked about this book series in particular and how it being geared towards teenage girls is harmful and i could definitely see her standpoint Mm -hmm. in some stuff we will we'll discuss that as we go through but honestly i see that with so many other books yeah geared towards teenage girls freaking twilight really Mm -hmm. that's what we're supposed to aspire for like we were discussing this at flowers in the attic it's always going to be burned into my memory i read it at the ripe old age of 10 which i think everybody does Mm -hmm. because it's, it's geared towards middle grade yeah. girls mm-hmm. and that book is 50 times more f-ed up than this i don't know it's just one of those things well the content okay so our main character Feyre, is 19 which is considered what the new adult age group is the new adult age group is basically like college age early mm-hmm. 20s yeah mm-hmm. um that's what it's just been established as but so like her age is kind of why it is new adult as well as like the explicit stuff isn't like mm-hmm. that explicit but it's pretty it's not yeah. what you would consider young adult to me no not at all because like in young adult okay so let's go off real quick because i mean it's pretty it's mentioned in the first chapter but i didn't put it in the notes that she's having sex with some dude Mm -hmm. in the village yeah heavily implied no it's not heavily implied she goes (laughs) no like it doesn't actually state it doesn't say hey i went yeah had sex with this guy yes it does not in the first chapter that's a few chapters later it's not said in such a way as what Reba is saying. Yeah, it's not said in- like that. Yeah. Okay, your version of implied is like very subtle. It's not subtle at all. It's not subtle. I'm not saying that it's subtle. I'm saying that it's implied. I know where both of you are coming <sighs> from, and I'm trying to bridge that gap, but it's not working. <sighs> and also, like the the character stuff and the like emotions and things aren't very young adult like Mm -mm. i don't think they would be able to Mm -mm. like the stuff that these characters go through i don't think yeah would be geared towards them also as far as like okay so with that and either the implication or the act she has no emotional involvement towards Mm -hmm. this dude like that is like to me that's so taboo in young adult like that's just nothing 
Like she talks about how she just does it to like as a release. Get that out. Yeah. yeah. Not as like a as an emotional thing and mm-hmm. his isn't emotional either. She is very like I don't know, just too pragmatic for young adults mm-hmm. too, I think. It's like a step up from Katniss and the Hunger Games. Yeah. I, I compare her to Katniss or Jones. Yeah. And I even like, okay, so I read the Throne of Glass books, a few of them before I'd read Akatar. Those were originally supposed to be like older too, but she had to bump them down because YA was more marketable at the time. But like, like Selena and those books goes through so much and she does like grow a lot, like years go by. But like early her being 17 is very different mm-hmm. from like, Feyre at this point and I mean they have like similar-ish experiences and similar personalities but that is like a more young adult mindset yeah I mean I'm not that far in Throne of Glass but Selina in the beginning is more of what you would think a 17 year old Mm -hmm. would be whereas she's very like like she knows everything kind of like a know-it-all but also like very impulsive Mm -hmm. extremely impulsive but also kind of like boy crazy at times it's yeah. been so Which long <laughs> since I've read that book that I don't remember yeah, anything. But I mean, some of that I think does have to do with the age. Yeah. Um, I also said talk about our background with fairies and fairy content. Mm-hmm. If we have anything to add to that. I know we were talking about it the other day. Because my, I'm pretty sure like actual novel where like main character people are fae or fairies. The only one I've read is like the Iron King. Yeah. I read that book and I did not like it. I was like, ugh, fairies, gross. Uh, <laughs> I mean, I've, I think we've probably all read other novels where fairies are mentioned, but they're not main characters. Yeah, like uh, the Shadowhunter series. Oh, yeah, and the um, the one that takes place after the Mortal Instruments, the Dark Artifices, like the fairies are a huge part in those. And that was something I actually didn't love about it. Like, mm-hmm. I hated when they would go in the fairy world. I'm like, oh, we're back here again. I just was not a fan of all that. But mm-hmm. then, like, I read, you know, like, Throne of Glass and the Akatar series. And I was like, oh, okay, I can get behind some of yeah. this. I'm not really, like, I don't just go out and read fantasy a whole lot. If it comes my way, I'll read it. I do like mythology and folklore. So you'll hear me talk about some of this mm-hmm. stuff. Uh, from time to time especially with like the different things that are mentioned throughout this book i guess the only other thing that's closest to that that's like really mainstream popular that's not technically fey is uh like uh the lord of the rings and yeah yeah Hobbit. yeah like elves yeah they're elves <laughs> yeah they're elves tinkerbell wasn't my fave either so mm-hmm. peter pan's not my fave <laughs> so i love peter pan like with a passion that being said like i have a whole series that is <laughs> based towards based that on- I like the fairies kind of being evil mm-hmm. because I don't trust them. Mm-hmm. It's the Irish in you. And then I also wanted to talk about the controversies over the Akatar books. And there were like two points that I thought of because I've heard a lot of people talk about it. The first one is people call it fairy porn. Like they're like, oh, it's nothing but fairy porn. Mm-hmm. And I'm like... There's a little bit of that, but really, it's not a lot. Like, until you get to the fifth book, there's really not a lot. I was like, there's there's too many books here with a lot of pages for it to just be that. There is one girl on TikTok. I sent y'all a few of her videos that Mm -hmm. I really like. Piper CJ, she's got a book out, by the way. I haven't read it, but I'm sure it's good if you're into that. I don't know. She's got like a degree in folklore mm-hmm. and stuff. And she's like, y'all need to stop reading those books because y'all like fairies now. And y'all keep trying to go in fairy rings. <laughs> they may want to 
think, oh, cute little human, but they might eat you. Stop doing this. <laughs> but yeah, people, they, they just call it fairy porn. And I'm like, it's so much more than that. Like, like there's a world and there's characters. I like, think. It, it is a romance. That is what it is. But there's more to it. People okay, just so, hate. So yeah, that's what I was going to say. I think if you go in with that kind of mindset, you're going to have that opinion. It's kind of like Twilight. Everybody jumped on this bandwagon of Twilight. Like, everybody that actually read it was like, or not everybody, but for the most part, the people that read it in the beginning were, like, in love with it. (laughs) And then because of the movies and the mainstream success, people started reading them. And because they already had a negative opinion about it, A, and then B, they didn't, um, they weren't the target demographic. Mm -hmm. It come across as bad, Mm -hmm. you know, and they would, you know, make fun of it. So I get that. Even with it comparing it to Twilight is way better. Like the writing and the world building and everything is a lot better. I think we established that Stephanie Meyer did not put a lot of thought into some things. So. Yeah. So I think if you're gonna if you're gonna do this, uh, if you're gonna say that, I don't think you've actually read the book. I just I feel like it's just people trying to demean something, and like as someone who enjoys it because of the somewhat simplicity of like the world and everything. Mm-hmm. Right. That's not why I love it, but that does help me out because I'm not yeah. into huge fantasy stuff. It's just mean. On. But I don't even think it's simplistic. I think it's, uh, it's based off for me to re- understand. It's based off reality, so yeah. you're not having to make too many leaps or you know have to dig too far into it is a bonus. Because I realize, like, as confused as I am with this world, with me rereading like Throne of Glass, I'm like, whoa, there's a lot going on. Mm-hmm. And then I tried reading Crescent City, and I was like, what the actual. F- going on because there's literally everything in that one i'm not even gonna get into that one but i was just like this is way over my head i'm Mm -hmm. not smart enough for this yes there's that and then um a lot of people with this series and with her other series have a problem with the lack of diversity which you could say about like most popular things yeah are not very diverse and that's mostly like racially and ethnically and i feel like with fantasy fantasy is very white like, mm-hmm. it's been like that for a long time, and I'm not justifying that at all. But, I mean, yeah. And also, like, these characters, I don't imagine as, like, all, like, super white. Like, I usually don't do that whenever I read anyway. Well, like, most of the fairies are, like, golden-skinned yeah. and stuff like that. That's how they're mentioned is, like, golden-skinned. And then I want to say there was, like, a few later on that aren't necessarily white in my mind. There were there are characters that in the books early on aren't necessarily described in such a way, but like people have it, it's just been decided amongst a lot of fans. Mm-hmm. And Sarah was also like, "Yeah, totally. I love it whenever authors do that." Yeah, sure. But saying that some of these characters are like more like Middle Eastern looking, mm-hmm. which is kind of like how I see okay. some of these characters. And there is one who's like. Asian looking Mm -hmm. for sure and like uh, in other courts and everything there's different kinds of people yeah Uh, I do want to say I was gonna wait until we got to the background but I will say when you're thinking fantasy it's usually based in England like medieval England Mm -hmm. that's usually where it's based off of so it's not that hard to think okay there's not gonna be a whole lot of diversity there so I mean 
My thing with fantasy, though, is that even though it may be based in England, like, it's a whole other world. Like, mm-hmm. it does not have to be based off of our world yeah. Like, yeah. geographically at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so that's why I'm always like, I don't know if that's, like, an explanation, but okay. Like, yeah. It's your story, whatever. Do whatever you want, but. I just think, okay, the way this is set up, it could, like, the way I'm saying it, it could be, like, where our main character is from they're predominantly white but there's a whole other continent Mm -hmm. that we don't really see Mm -hmm. is what i'm saying like we see it i haven't read the fifth book but i've read or the fourth whichever i haven't read silver flame but i have read mist and fury and wings and ruin Mm -hmm. and in those i see more diverse characters yeah exploring the other courts and going into the continent a little bit so there's that and then also like even the characters that have kind of been established aren't white Mm -hmm. i see in so many fan arts they're white Mm -hmm. and it bugs the hell out of me where i'm like i can't even like this because like and I understand where you're coming from with it because it wasn't really talked about a lot in the books in such a way where mm-hmm. like it'd be obvious. I mean, the most it's mentioned usually in books is like skin color or like bone structure or and, almond eyes. Yeah. Because it's touch and go, especially from a white author, it's always touch and go. <laughs> because you can't really be like, oh, they had this kind of person nose or something like yeah. that to where it'd be like oh, racist, you know? So I get it, but I imagine people how I imagine people and that's just how it is. Mm-hmm. Like we'll get into that with some of the creatures like I was telling you earlier. <laughs> I, like, I no, imagine at all. <laughs> I imagined in a completely different way, even though it explicitly says what they look uh-huh. like, it completely like that's my okay. my brain went in yeah. a totally different direction. I change up characters in my brain all the time while reading mm-hmm. them. I'm like, no, that's just how they are. Mm-hmm. Even my own characters, I'm like, I guess they changed their hair color that day because that's not it. I'm like, I just picture different things. There are other controversies surrounding this series and this author and everything, but I'm not going to get into them. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, they're out there. If you just do want as you may. to. Do as you may. As far as, like, the book itself, I do enjoy. Caitlin doesn't enjoy this particular book, but she does enjoy, enjoy the series. I enjoy parts of it. It's not my least favorite thing to read. Like, mm-hmm. I'll still read it. Mm-hmm. I'm not there for a fun time, you know. Yeah. Okay, so... Buckle up, buttercups. In this series, the humans and fairies do not get along. Once upon a time, the fae used humans as their slaves. Hundreds of years ago, a great war broke out between them. The fae and the humans are divided by a wall. Think of the shape of England. Everything but the southernmost part of the country belongs to the fairies, and the small portion of land in the southern area belongs to the humans. At the time of this book, humans still despise fairies and the fae think of humans as lesser beings. There were tales of fairy attacks around the border, but no proof was given. And I also want to mention, um, so the way their way this island is set up goes along with the continent, what they call the continent too. But the way the island is set up is there's courts mm-hmm. and there's seven of them. Winter, spring. <laughs> well, there's spring, summer, winter. Fall and then there's day, night. Yes, there are seven. And what's the other one? Night, day. dawn, night, day, day night, and dawn, dawn, winter, summer, autumn, spring. Yeah, and then um, each of these is ruled by a high lord, which is a high fae, which is like the best 
top top the tier best. the top tier fae yeah like the most powerful fae and then they're ruled by a high lord in these courts mm-hmm. and there may or may not be high ladies we've never seen one so that's what this england shaped looking land is mm-hmm. and then there's a island to the west which is highburn Mm-hmm. which is ruled by a king and then there's the continent and the northern part of it is fey realms and then the southern part is also humans but it's a bigger okay we are starting in chapter one so in chapter one we are introduced to Feyre. now miss Feyre here let's talk about her okay Feyre. <laughs> Feyre. so i believe we mentioned before yeah it's we're southern so get get ready for that also, Feyre. her name is Feyre, and it's a book about Faye. I know that's I how I that. that's how I remember it now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it took me a minute. And I was like, okay, it's Faye, like pay, and then ruh, because like I was going fair for a while, and then I was like, is it Feyre or fair? And I could never keep it straight. She is 19 years old, the youngest of three girls girls that live with their father, who is pretty crippled. I mean, <laughs> that word. That, I don't um, like that word, but he doesn't get around very well anymore. <laughs> he got the hell beat out of him one point, and his it's, leg was it's messed literally, up. Like I said, it's a Beauty and the Beast mm-hmm. retelling, and that part of it, like him losing his money and everything, is mm-hmm. very Beauty and the Beast. Yeah. So their mom died, died. when Pharaoh was very young. They were originally a rich family, mm-hmm. and then he lost all his money. Yeah. So the two older sisters. We're so used to all this money, and then they had nothing, which Farah was more, was too little to really yeah. remember much of it. So she's the only one that's, you know, basically grew up poor, and she's literally the only one that can keep them together. Like, she f- goes out and hunts for them. She, you know, does everything she can to make mm-hmm. sure that they survive. And she's also a common white girl. A brunette. Not that interesting looking. Is she brunette? Yeah. Okay, here's the thing. Yeah, it's- character art gripe. People draw her blonde. They draw her brunette. They draw her with red hair. Yeah. I picture her with really light brown hair. Mm-hmm. See, that's kind of where I, mean, I was going. It can look going. golden. It can look a little auburn sometimes. But, like, I picture her with, like, long light brown hair. Like, s- sandy brown. Sandy-ish, yeah. More on the yeah. brown side than the blonde side. Yeah, but I, I could see that. I that's a hot debate. <laughs> I kind of see it more brownish, but like silver tone brown, if that makes sense. Oh. So Reba said, "Nope." <laughs> what What do you imagine, Reba? I don't imagine anything for any of them. Well, They're just blobs. Literally, yes, they are <laughs> literally just existing blobs. Literally, I think the only thing mentioned was brassy hair. Oh, another Edward. <laughs> what? But that's like bronze. Mm-hmm. Some people picture brassy as like brassy blonde. I think that descriptor just leads people in different directions, which is fine. Yeah. It's fun. But I see character art all, all the time and I'm like, that's not Farah. Is that supposed to be Farah? Mm-hmm. I can't remember anything else like physically other than she's, she's super skinny because yeah, she's starving. Skinny, she doesn't eat. I picture her not being like super tall, but being like average height mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she's around a lot of tall men so i think that's why i'm like she's a little bean compared to them yeah but not like well also it makes bean. sense stealth wise for yeah. her to be smaller uh so in this chapter she is deep in the middle of the woods hunting for food she hasn't eaten in a while she notices she is too close to the fairy lands but she needs to find food for herself and for her family they are on the brink of starvation and won't last another week without a meal 
Farrah spots a deer and is about to shoot it when she noticed an unnaturally enormous wolf. So she debates with herself whether or not this is a fae or not. She's been a long time debating. <laughs> yeah. And you're not really, like, she's not really sure, so you're not really sure. And I wrote a little note about just, like, Farrah's job being hunting in Mm -hmm. her household. Like, she taught herself how to do everything in her life, including Mm -hmm. hunting. She just kind of decided at an age, like, okay, this is what I have to do, Mm -hmm. not only for me to survive, but most importantly for my family to survive. And this is the only future she sees for herself. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of something throughout what I've read so far this time, where Mm -hmm. I see, like, she doesn't see past tomorrow. The only thing that Farrah wants is for her sisters to get married off. Mm Mm-hmm. And then she can just live with her dad. She can just take care of her dad. She loves to paint, but that's not anything Mm -hmm. that she can just normally do. But that's all she wants to do is just take care of her dad. And then it would be less of a hardship to hunt. So she would have more leisurely time to paint. It's daunting to realize she's been doing this for 11 years. So she was like, baby. She was eight. That's she was eight when her mom died. Yeah. So she sees the wolf and she wonders if the wolf is just a really big wolf or maybe it's a fairy. Shape-shifting fairies in these parts, you know? So she grabs an iron and ash arrow that she had bought. The humans had been told that fairies hate iron, but the only way to kill them is with ash. And I love early on how she just like goes with the like the legends and stuff. Yeah. And she, I mean, that's what she's told to believe. So she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then throughout the series, just everything's thrown out the window. Yeah. <laughs> it's Feyre debates whether this is a wise decision, but she hates the Fae. And if it was just a wolf, she could do so much with its skin. So she was picturing all the things she could make with the skin of the mm-hmm. wolf. And everything she thought of was for her sisters. sisters. So I was like, at that point, like, you know that Vera is selfless. And then I also compared her to Katniss mm-hmm. at that point. I've, Not just because she hunts with a bow and arrow, but just like personality and character traits and like mm-hmm. motives in life. Yeah, they're pretty spot on, yeah. both of them with those traits. She would volunteer as tribute, at least for Elaine. Yeah, Nesta. <laughs> If it was Nesta, she'd, she'd be, be like, like, she can take care of she herself. Can, she can make it. I mean, She's Nesta vicious. would also volunteer probably just for Elaine, Elaine and be like, Farrah can take care of herself. I love their dynamic throughout the series. That's just me, though. Yeah. We're going to get to it. Don't no, worry. We'll get to it. Let's see. Before she can kill the wolf, it looks into her eyes. It has the strangest look, not of fear or anger, but of something calmer that Farrah did not understand. I, did, I forgot about that. Mm. Mm-hmm. So she kills the animal. And skins it. She takes it and the deer meat with her. And she like wraps up the deer meat in the wolf She wraps pelt. up the deer and literally carries the entire deer. It, She's like, this is really heavy. By the way, she, well, yeah. Have you ever, I mean, like deer are usually like what, 70 pounds? Yeah. She's just getting bones yeah. too. Like got a little um, bit of muscle, I guess. Also, I think she, I forgot to mention, she also skinned the deer too mm-hmm. and took the pelt with her yeah. also. She takes one last look at the wolf carcass and its open eyes, wishing she could feel remorse for the creature. But she doesn't. Damn. Cause she hates the bay and girls gotta eat. So we're at chapter two now. Pharaoh walks back to her home with the deer body and the wolf skin in the freezing cold temperatures. She goes home, and we're introduced to her family, Caitlin. Now it's time it to away. talk about the sisters. <laughs> um, basically, she made a promise to her mom 
on her mom's deathbed of taking care of her family. At the age of eight. <laughs> At the age of eight. Meanwhile, her sisters were like 10 and 12, mm-hmm. which is wild to me. Yeah. It really is to me too. Because she's the only one that's ever, Nesta doesn't give a shit about anybody but Elaine. Mm-hmm. And so she's not going to do anything yeah. unless it involves Elaine. Because she hates her father, like cannot stand him, mm-hmm. has always been bitter towards him. With Farah, I think, I don't understand their dynamic as much with like Nesta not treating her like a sister. Yeah, I mentioned it here. Like it's not, and it's not like, um, it's more like a stepsister thing. Um, I think sh- they taught, they get into it um, in the fifth book. Mm-hmm. And Silver Flames, and they have those conversations mm-hmm. because they are both <laughs> better at communicating at that point. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit. And they call each other out for some shit, mm-hmm. which really helps with the healing and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, it's something to think about throughout the series. Yeah, because at this point, even I don't know, and I've read a good yeah. good chunk of the series. Yeah, so Silver Flames, um, for anyone who doesn't know, <laughs> is Nesta's book. All, the rest of these books are first person point of view from Feyre. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's a little bit of somebody characters else later on, but and then Silver Flames is Nesta, and then another character. So you get inside Nesta's head and figure out a lot about where mm-hmm. she's at. At this point, Nesta and Elaine, they just care about you know what they care about. They don't. It's like they don't understand everything that Feyre does for them. Yeah. Well, like, Feyre took over, like, basically the head of the household role. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And she, like, she walks in and they, like, automatically start, you know, asking about what she's hunted. And they're so happy that they have, like, something to Dude. eat and they can get stuff with, like, stuff from the wolf and everything. That's their only concern. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Meanwhile, it's very... Or Feyre's like, yeah, I might have just killed a fairy or whatever. She doesn't say that, but like. Yeah. Whereas Elaine is like completely useless. I said maybe Elaine is just stupid. That was my name. <laughs> <laughs> like Elaine. Okay. So we haven't really discussed Elaine. Elaine likes flowers. She Here's does her typical little. girly girl. She does her little gardening. She's so sweet. Blah, 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 blah. But she's basically useless as much as, I mean, like she doesn't even try to help any, like anybody. Yeah. I did like a whole paragraph. That I like marked. It says it wasn't that Elaine was cruel. She wasn't like Nesta, who had been born with a sneer on her face. Elaine sometimes just didn't grasp things. It wasn't meanness that kept her from offering help. It simply never occurred to her that she might be capable capable of getting her hands dirty. I've never been able to decide whether she actually didn't understand that we were truly poor or if she just refused to accept it. It still hadn't stopped me from buying her seeds for the flower garden she tended to in milder months whenever I could afford it. Elaine doesn't do shit. That's my problem with her. Elaine yeah. doesn't do shit. Nesta doesn't either, but she doesn't really have a personality. Like, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. she doesn't. Like, she really doesn't. She does like two things later on the series. Three yeah. that I'm like, yeah, Elaine, go Elaine. But Good. every other time, I'm like, is she just like singing and swaying in the background? Like, what good is she? And even when she does those things, it's does she even realize she's doing them? You know what I mean? Oh, yeah, the thing you know about. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, Elaine may be stupid. That might be her problem because I don't know any other Maybe reason. Elaine. Like, she just doesn't do anything. <laughs> At least Nesta's like bitchy and like mm-hmm. tries to do things to help out the family or to help with things, not not help Farah. In her own way. <laughs> 
not help Farah and not help her dad, but like to do better for herself and therefore help Elaine. I mean, Nesta is like, okay, I'm going to get married to this guy so that I can have this life and I can go this way. And Farah's like, hold up later on. Yeah, the dynamics has really become Farah's the oldest, Nesta's the middle child, and Elaine's the youngest. (laughs) I, someone told me, we were talking about Encanto, we were talking about surface pressure, and they were like, did you know Luis is the middle child? And I was like, what? No. No. No, it don't work out. And they're like, no, Isabella is the oldest, and then it's Luisa, and then it's Mirabelle. And I was like, that changes everything. And it's like similar to this dynamic where I'm like, that changes everything. Yeah, it makes no sense. There's just a dynamic that happens. I mean, granted, it it do, I have I work with kids. I see the dynamics, and it does change and it does evolve. I guess, mm-hmm. but I I mean, I have seen the second oldest become the eldest, and yeah. you know, like the responsibilities because the first oldest is yeah. not the personality. Okay. It's personality. The first oldest is an Elaine yeah. character person, whereas the second oldest is like a Farah character. Yeah. It's so. just a lot about personality, I feel like, with these sisters in particular, because mm-hmm. Farah is more selfless. Yeah. And more like, okay, what can I do for the people around me? And that's just like, hold up. Like, they just see the world so differently. And you see that throughout the series. And it Mm kind of makes you understand. Meanwhile, Elaine's just there. Like, I got so many quips and qualms about Elaine. But whatever. Vera tells, like, what her dream is, which we've already went over, and they discuss a boy wanting to propose to Nesta and how Vera doesn't want that for herself. So Vera doesn't want to get married. She doesn't want to be, and they bicker back and forth because Nesta's pointing out that, oh, well, at least I'm not screwing this guy. I hope you're using protection. Yeah. And Farah's like, uh, of course I am, but I'm not going to tell her that. Like, that's mm-hmm. none of her business. So, Farah mentions how she never got to learn to write or read mm-hmm. like her sisters. Mm-hmm. And that has to do with when they fell into poverty. Mm-hmm. Poverty. Poverty. <laughs> poverty. Because <laughs> she was so young that she never got that opportunity. So, I think that, once again, leads to how she feels like she can contribute to her household. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, I noticed this the last time I reread this. And it has to do with, um, she talks about her painting and everything. And she talks about the dresser that she painted. Oh, yes. And the stuff that she painted on the dresser, I just want y'all to think about and remember. She painted violets and roses around Elaine's part, crackling flames around Nesta's, and for hers, the night sky. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, so much foreshadowing. I know. And she doesn't know why she drew the night sky. Yeah. She just enjoyed it. Yeah. Oh, I was talking about uh, Farah's thoughts on her mother and said, like, I personally didn't see a lot of love there. <laughs> no, she describes her as being a lot like Nesta. Yeah. Like Farah not having a lot of love for her mom in return. And how she thinks that her mom kind of got out at the best time before their whole life fell apart. Like, mm-hmm. she's like glad you got out and she just never got to know her too well because she was so young um and then also the promise i mentioned again and i said she's a bit of a pushover she just does stuff for Mm -hmm. everyone else Mm -hmm. they're just like oh can you do this can you do this and she's like okay i guess like was this the part where they were talking about nesta going and doing something chopping wood chopping wood Wood and and they just ended up convincing vera to do it Mm -hmm. like she's just like okay like She's one of those people, I know so many people like this, that are like, no one else is going to do it. I might as well. 
No, they were arguing, and um, she basically hinted that if she didn't contribute to the family, that she wouldn't help Nesta out, like give her any money Mm -hmm. from the pelts. And so Nesta wakes up and chops wood so that she can get some money from the pelts. Nesta's thinking about Nesta half the time. Nesta's thinking about Nesta 80% of the time. The other 20% is is Elaine. And I also said that Nesta will use every defense in her arsenal. I don't know why she does that. She's a very defensive person. She will go for the jugular. Yeah. Every single time. that's just how she is. Yeah. I know we're making Nesta seem like the bad guy and Caitlin's smiling the whole time talking about her. I've already talked about how I love Nesta. And, like, admittedly, did I like her during most of this book? No, like, literally not till towards the end. So. Yeah. We're moving on to chapter three. So, after Feyre's hunt and having the the pelts from both the deer and the wolf, her and her sisters go into town because is going to sell the hide she got. um, And Nesta and Elaine are just going to kind of chill out until she gets money and then try to take money from her so they can go buy things. Yeah. Um. (laughs) Um, while they're in the market, they stumble upon a member of a well-known cult called the Children of the Blessed. The Children of the Blessed are essentially a, f- a fairy cult. Like, they are obsessed with the fairies. One of my favorite lines that I want you to hold on to is, May the immortal light shine upon these sisters. One of the members comes up to the sister and Nesta confronts them, showing uh, this person the iron bracelet that she and Elaine are wearing instead of silver bells that the acolyte is wearing to attract the high fae. The acolyte tells of a girl who was taken from the border and was now a bride of the high fae. And then Nesta proceeds to tell the girl that she was actually probably eaten. So I don't know if it's here or later on that Feyre discusses like whether they're an acolyte or, you know, just a regular person, if they go past the wall, they're never seen from again. Yeah. So there's no way to prove either way. Vera and her sisters move on from this, and Vera meets up with a female mercenary that's sitting in the area where they're selling things at, and Vera shows her the deer and the wolf pelts. The mercenary proceeds to tell her she doesn't believe the wolf pelt is fae, but pays handsomely for them anyway. When Vera asks why, she tells uh, her someone did the same for her family once in a time when they really needed it. Paid. Paid. It's another paying it forward kind of situation. Gave them money when they really needed it. The mercenary, however, warns Vera not to get close to where she killed these animals because of the dangerous things slipping through the wall. Um, Fairies attacking villages, and then the mercenary proceeds to tell her own story of killing a fairy that had attacked uh, her. Um, After this sort of rendezvous, Feyre meets back up with her sisters, who she gives money to, and then Feyre goes off to do do a little hook out there with uh, Isaac yeah, Hale. Oh, I'm sorry, but it's implied. No, I'm kidding. Also, his more. name is Isaac. He's getting married next <laughs> week. Yeah. He just talks about his future wife all the time while having sex with Feyre. <laughs> yeah. And she's uh, okay with it. Also, one of the one of the creatures men- mentioned is a Martax. I don't think that's the one that this mercenary killed but she was talking about it having like the head of a lion and all this stuff and all i could find when i was looking for these creatures is a porn star because unfortunately it shares the same name as a porn star that goes by marta x so i could not find jack on this creature like is there not a wiki page for this probably huh? N- not not any but that's not what i wanted i wanted like 
Like I wanted the actual, actual origin. Like mythology on a wiki page, probably. Towards the end of this chapter, it's later on in the evening, and they're all back at the house. And while they're there, a huge growl occurs, and the door is then ripped open, revealing an enormous creature. Dun, dun, dun. I wonder what it is. Chapter four. The beast with golden fur began snarling at the family while Feyre grabbed her knife. Mind you, all the family is cowering, and Feyre, mm-hmm. just like whenever her father was attacked mm-hmm. never someone came into their home and attacked him she is the one walking forward mm-hmm. in defense of them yes because her father is like hovering over her sisters yeah. so quoted from the book the beast had to be as large as a horse and while his body was somewhat feline his head was distinctly wolfish i still didn't know what to make of the curled elk like horns that retreated from his head but lion or hound or elk there was no doubting the damage his black dagger-like claws and yellow fangs could inflict the beast screamed murderers and Bera realized he was a fairy and the wolf had also been a fairy Brilliant, brilliant, I tell you. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, I forgot to mention back when we were reading chapter one. When I first read this book, I had not read the description on the back of this <laughs> oh, book. Yeah. We've had no idea what was about to happen. I was just started reading it. So in chapter one, where she's like contemplating whether this is a fairy or not, and she ends up killing the wolf anyway, I was just like, what sort of consequences are about to follow? Or, or, so many. Well, first I'd ask, like, is there about to be any consequences? And what sort of consequences? And then after I got to this part, I read the back of the book and went, oh. The beast asked who killed the wolf. And Vera tells him that it was her. He asked if the wolf had attacked her first. And she says, no. <laughs> She's like, hypothetically, if I did kill it. Oh, yeah. Vera loves hypotheticals. Like, <laughs> She's like, if this were to happen, happen, what would happen in return? <laughs> She never comes out and says it, but she's like, "Mm, what if, and like, it's obvious that she did it, but she like, she's like, hypothetically speaking. You know, she doesn't want to full on admit it. No. (laughs) So she also like considers what would happen if the beast like killed her right there. And she's like, how loud would my sister scream before they also died? And she says, but I knew with a sudden uncoiling clarity that Nesta would buy Elaine time to run. Not my father, whom she resented her entire with her entire steely heart. Not me, because Nesta had always known and hated that she and I were two sides of the same coin and that I could fight my own battles. But Elaine, the flower grower, the gentle heart, Nesta would go down swinging for her. Oh, I said that Nesta was very obvious that she'd do anything for Elaine. Obviously, we all know that. And how, theoretically, she would throw her dad to the wolves. Not even theoretically. I think she would admit to. <laughs> um, the Beast tells Feyre that their treaty states a life for a life. And she can either die on the spot or come and live in Prithium. Did I say that right? Mm-hmm. Prithium. That's the fairylands, by yes, the way. In the fairylands. On, on this aisle. In, <laughs> on this aisle. Because it's kind of like misconstrued a little bit to Feyre what a life for a life means. And he's mm-hmm. like, no, like either I kill you right now or a life for a life. You can just trade yourself in mm-hmm. and come live with me. And never I mean, really talked about this treaty any. Yeah, I mean, that's the extent of it at this point. Like, yeah. I don't think we mentioned that there was one at this yeah, point. Yeah, I forgot. I mentioned <laughs> the war. I didn't mention the treaty. Um, basically, they can't make them slaves anymore but that's all that pharaoh really knows and who knows and i said that pharaoh also thinks that prithian is lethal 
to humans. Mm-hmm. And that just kind of shows how much she knows just from the legends. Because the beast, we don't know his name at this point, is like, it's no, you'll I, like you'll be okay where I'm at. Like, mm-hmm. whatever. It doesn't really matter. You have to go either way. <laughs> either that or you die. So with some consideration, Vera decides to go with him. She prepares to leave, uh, telling her family to survive without her. And then her father said if she ever escaped, to never come back. And he wanted her to make a name for herself because she didn't deserve this life. So she couldn't explain how their imminent death without her and the promise she made her mother conflicted with what he told her. So basically how her mother said, protect them, like Mm -hmm. promise me you'll do all this. And he's saying, no, go. So she struggled out of his embrace and then left with the beast. Beast, it's the beast. <laughs> we were singing Beauty and the Beast earlier. We we got something for you when we get to it later. Was I here for this? Yes, we were in bed. <laughs> and we were talking about a character. And you asked, was he Lumiere or Cogsworth? Oh. And I said, singing? no, but then I said, I can't imagine him singing Be Our Guest. And then you started going, Be Our Guest. Chapter 5. They walked in the snow and Farah felt so cold as they walked further north. A good distance away, there was a beautiful white mare with a high-quality leather saddle, which seemed to bow its head in respect to the beast. The beast motioned for her to get on the horse, and she did as she was told. She contemplated how life would be in this dangerous, unforgiving territory, whether or not she would become a slave or tortured for her crimes against them. She asked for his name, and he wouldn't give it to her. Instead, some sort of magic knocked her unconscious. When she woke up, they were already to the gate of his lands. The mare continued to follow the beast into the unknown territory. Into the unknown. Oh, I said nothing except Feyre keeps on thinking about how she's going to escape, because of course she is. And then um, Sir Beast not answering any of her questions, which of course he's not. Sir Beast. Well, I wrote his name on my notes, and I was like, we're still not there yet. (laughs) All right, so we're on to chapter six, where they arrive at a beautiful manor that made the nicest home she'd ever seen before look like a hovel. She was thinking of an exit strategy, but realized it was useless. He had taken her knife from her while she was unconscious, and she was very much starving and exhausted at this point. She decided that it would be best to get food first and then find an opportunity to run. They walk into the manor and the first thing she sees is a ridiculously large table with more food than she had ever seen in her life. Her mouth watered for the food, but she was always told never to eat fairy food because it was meant to keep you enslaved to them. The beast sat down in a chair, revealing a golden-haired high fae. So he transformed. Yes. He was young, or at least what I could see of his face seemed young. His nose, cheeks, and brows were covered by an exquisite golden mask embedded with emeralds shaped like whorls of leaves. Some absurd high fae fashion, no doubt. So I always forget about the mask because I never picture them. Because <laughs> I think that's ridiculous. I love it. So he sits down, he tells her to eat, and she states that the food is not safe for humans. He tells her it is safe and she's free to leave whenever she wishes. So leave as an exit. Mm-hmm. Castle. Yeah. Then enters another high fae man. All right, you ready? Let's talk about Lucian. Our man, Lucian. Is he Lumiere Cogsworth? We don't know. He's coming off very Cogsworth at this point. He's very Cogsworth at this point, I yeah, will say. But he's snarky. He's angry because Farrah killed his friend. 
He's wearing a fox mask. He is wearing so a fox mask. That's what I always think of. I think of like him being kind of like sneaky mm-hmm. a little bit and sly in a way. Mm-hmm. He also uh, has a a bionic eye. A bionic eye, like a gold bionic eye. Fiery oh, bad eye, Moody. <laughs> He has fiery red hair, golden skin, like they all do. See, I always pictured him as like paler. Pale. Because he's a ginger. But then later on, some stuff that's discovered where I was like, that makes no sense now. But anyway, Lucian is very mean to Feyre as well. Yeah, he's like, you killed my friend. (laughs) Yeah. Turns out that the wolf was named Andres. Andres. And I keep saying Andreas in my head. Yeah. I don't concern myself too much with it. Yeah, I didn't think of the pronunciation until I just said it. But anyway, he was a sentry for the beast. Uh, he was the wolf that Fair killed. I don't know if I said that or not. But yeah, so he's a little upset about that. And he's also the beast's emissary. The stranger asked about Andras, the wolf Fair killed. The golden hair man apologized and told him he was dead. Lucian asked a few questions about the death, which were answered by the the golden fair fae. Golden fair. Okay. I was it's, like, it's a typo. It's hair. It's yeah, okay. Which were answered by the golden hair fae. Another fae enters to take Feyre to go change into new clothes. Feyre sees another mask on this fae's face and assumes that it must be a requirement for the fae here. Oh, I guess everyone wears a mask here. That's crazy. As the fae servant Alice took her to her room, she caught a little of the conversation between Lucian and the beast. Lucian tells him that they might as well kill her because she would rather kill the beast than speak to him, and this was all a fool's mission. The beast says that they would not change the plans unless absolutely necessary. Feyre will stay unharmed, and this life is better than the hell she was facing in the human world. So, at this point, Feyre is in a room getting changed, so the servants of the house bathed and clothed Feyre, and Elise, or Alice, warned her to hold her tongue and start listening. That would be the only way to survive in the world of the Fae. And to keep her wits about her because some things are meant to trick her. For some reason, I said Narnia vibes when Pharaoh was talking about the magic of the seasons. I'm not sure what all that means, but it's there. I think that's whenever she's talking about like how she she would need a variety of seasons somewhat. Where she was like, oh, I mean, I really appreciate the spring and everything. But like, I think I would need to change it up sometimes. And I'm like, girl, same. Whenever the bees told her that she could live anywhere in Prithian. And she's like, cool. And then she thinks she's like, maybe I'm better off here right now. The rest of this world's pretty scary. Yeah, she Because she knows, like, he says she's free to leave. But yeah. there's, you know. <laughs> she's like, that's a death wish. Yeah. Um, And then I said, Lucian underestimated Vera's abilities, I guess while killing the wolf he's like kind of not impressed but also like this human did this this? thing did this This thing she's barely a hundred pounds yeah and oh how pharaoh won't wear a dress which Mm -hmm. i said and it's an inside joke i said pate vibes (laughs) yeah i mean and then pharaoh realizes how wrong the legends were she was not expecting this of the fairy world so, chapter 7. Feyre returns to the dining room to find Lucian and the golden-haired Fay sipping out of goblets made of solid gold. They are rich in this house. The golden-haired one reminds her that the food is safe to eat. Mm-hmm. Sorry. <laughs> Lucian tells him that he told him. <laughs> said what? Because in it, like, when he said, oh, she won't even speak to you. She, she hates you she won't even speak to you this is a false mission and then uh she doesn't talk to him and he's like told you so 
And then we learn the other man's name. Well, he like calls him out and calls him by name. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. And Lucian calls the other, the beast, the other Faye. Tamlin. Tamlin. So we learn his name. And Faye was like, oh, he has a name now. And Tamlin's like, Lucian, no, secrets. You're not supposed to know. Leave some mystery. So Tamlin tells her to eat, but instead she asks him what he intends on doing with her. So she finally obeys and he tries to serve her, but she refuses. <laughs> it's so repetitive. I know it's like this, but I'm like, oh my gosh, just eat. Yeah. You're probably going to die anyway. Just eat. Tamlin tries to compliment her. It <laughs> <laughs> <and> fails miserably. <laughs> he says, your hair looks clean. clean. <laughs> I'm like, what the heck? LOL. I think I pointed that one out, too. Yeah. Yeah. I said, Tamlin's got game. LOL. Your hair is clean. (laughs) I mean, if it were to me, it would be a compliment because it takes forever for me to wash my hair. She asked him again what about what she's supposed to do now. And he told her once again that she's free to do whatever she wants on the estate. She's like, no, no, there's a catch to this Mm -hmm. this whole time. She begs him to find a loophole in the treaty. Her family is starving. Oh, and she can't live in luxury while that is happening. He assures her that they are well taken care of. He tells her she's free to leave, but if she left his lands, her family would no longer be taken care of. Lucian and Tamlin ask if she's in love with a man back home. Suddenly, they're so concerned with her her love love life. life. I wonder what that's got to do with anything. No. She's like, they were like, are you close to men at home or something? Like, Lucian asked that, and she's like, I'm f***ing some dude, but... He's like, and like they they pause, and then Tamlin's like, "Are you in love with him?" And then she's like, "No." <laughs> we just <laughs> around. <laughs> We're just fucking. What are you talking about? She asks why they're being so generous towards her, and Tamlin tells her he kills enough, and her presence would be insignificant. <laughs> you're insignificant, but I um, like that your hair's clean. <laughs> <laughs> and he writes a poem, and it's just like your hair is clean, clean. and. Brassy. <laughs> Get some purple shampoo up in there, girl. The next day, Tamlin finds her trying to walk out into the garden and ask if she would like a tour of the grounds. She declines. Is this before or after she makes a rope of curtains? Are you talking about the, the tripwire that she set up in her room? <laughs> no, the rope of curtains. I can't remember. Freeba? Like Alice walks in and very yeah, like... Yeah, after, it's after her. It's like the very... <laughs> first like morning after she's there yeah but she she takes the curtains off and like ties them all together and i was just like why do these girls keep on using these curtains at people's houses you got sound and music maria's making the children's clothes out of them you got enchanted she made her own dress out of these curtains and i was like we keep on tearing down people's drapery to for our own needs it needs to stop curtains are expensive we were discussing that earlier today. <laughs> she makes a tripwire. He jokes about it, too. He was like, did you really think I was going to come bug you in the middle? Like, But, like, everything she does, she, like... She thinks she's getting away she with. She thinks she's so sneaky with, and they just bring it up casually. It's really <laughs> like, funny. The tripwire, like, got Alice, and she was like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> was it for you? <laughs> Who else comes into your room? <laughs> she was worried, like, somebody was gonna come see her in the middle of the night that she did not want at least she's thinking and also why would they come through the door because it's his house they don't necessarily have to come through the door how else are they gonna go in there the window people can climb i mean would you climb in your own damn house to get to open the door yeah (laughs) 
She's climbing. I would actually watch her climb down the wall. I'd be sitting out on the porch. That's what Tamlin would do. <laughs> I'm just waiting to be like, she's like Alice would be. Alice and him set up lawn chairs, and they're like waiting <laughs> at the bottom. Like she and gets Alice there, like, are we really gonna do this? She's and like, Lucian I got walks by with like his glass of whiskey, and he's just like, <sighs> ignorant it's human. Cannon. Okay, so the next day after all this, Tamlin finds her trying to walk out into the garden and ask if she would like a tour of the grounds. She declines because that's just what she does. She just says no. They talk for a bit, and Tamlin explains that the fairy she murdered was looking for a cure to a magical sickness that cursed their lands, and it affected them during a masquerade ball. They've been stuck in those fairy masks for 49 years. Beauty the peace vibes. Mm-hmm. We got it. We got it. We got it. They're stuck in this position of something that happened 50 years ago. Mm-hmm. At least they don't, didn't turn into plates and shit. Like, there's not enough talking furniture in these books, I gotta say. Yeah, I really do miss Lumiere and Cogsworth. <laughs> I miss the piano that plays itself. Come on. Yeah. I think I have that in my Beauty and the Beast retelling. She asks if the magical sickness could harm humans, and Tamlin tells her that it could wind up spreading to the human lands. Now it concerns Farah. Also, uh, they're talking about the wall. Mm-hmm. And she asks if he has any interest in destroying the wall. And he's like, no, I don't really care about the mortal lands, though I can't speak for my kind. Yeah. And then he explains. So the wall is kind of a big part of that. They talk about destroying that wall often. Yeah, they do. Also, I do want to put in that at one point uh, when she declines him, like Tamlin's like, holding his fist down to stop from claws coming out because that's like a sign of his temper. So if we mention that, that's what that is. But yeah, he's got a temper. Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So chapter eight, Farah walks through the gardens trying to find escape routes and hiding places. Later that night at dinner, she stole a knife from the table. <laughs> this is what... It- Everyone in the castle knows about it. And she's like, she thinks she's being really sneaky. During said dinner, Tamlin and Lucian asked things like her interest, where her mother was, how old she was, things like that. To learn more about her. Mm -hmm. I said, oh, my only notes were about Lucian. I said, he's so cheeky. I don't remember him being like this. And then I also said, also remember people shipping Feyre and Lucian? Yeah, I could see it. I could too. I think they're going to be the best of friends. All right, chapter nine. So, Feyre gets into her mind that the best way that she can get out of here is to convince Lucian to talk to Tamlin to get her released. So, she goes off to see Lucian before he leaves for Border Patrol to convince him to put in a word with Tamlin for her release. On her way, Tamlin stops her to ask if she would like to ride around the grounds with him. She says no, and she guesses he tries to hide his temper and his claws from coming out by the way he clenches his fists. She goes on her way to the stables to see Lucian. He offers to take her on patrol with him, and she agrees. He asks her about her plans for, for getting set free. He tells her it was no use. Tamlin wouldn't listen to him, and there was no other loophole. There's no loophole. Hold on to that one as far as everything goes. Yep. She continues on and asks about the blight, as they call it, and all he said was that it was sent by her. Wait, what? It was sent by her. Capitalized. Her. Yeah, we sh- don't know who her is. We don't know. I should have capitalized Yeah, it. I was like, huh? But we don't know who her is. She asks Lucien what happened to his eye. He tells her he didn't keep his mouth shut, and she asks if it was Tamlin. He tells him he tells her no, 
Tamlin was uh, was the one that gave him the false eye. And while during this conversation, something immediately changes and Feyre goes tense. Lucian tells her to put her bow down and look straight ahead. Oh, I said uh, she she starts talking about like the high lords and stuff. Mm-hmm. And then she mentions high ladies, if that was even possible. And I love the conversation where she asked Lucian, how old are you? And he says, old, because I think of. Twilight. How long have you been 17? <laughs> a while. <laughs> the cereal is mentioned. We get to him in a little bit. But he is mentioned. It. I go it. It is mentioned. Oh, she's like, are there fairies that will actually answer my questions? And he's like, yeah, the cereal will. I'm like, Lucian, you're giving, you're showing all your cards. You know, hold some closer to your chest. No, I think he did this on purpose. What? We'll get Everything to that. Everything has been done on purpose, but like... So yeah, they're stopping in the woods. Because he, he goes pale, something's wrong, and he's like, nope, gotta look ahead. Pretend nothing's here. Don't look. Don't look. It's like, don't blink. I know, I got the, the Doctor Medusa, Who. Like, mm-hmm. I got the Doctor Who vibes from that, too. There's a whole bunch... Yeah, I was gonna mention that in a minute. In our next episode. In our next episode, so yeah, stay tuned. That, the... The Doctor Who thing especially applies in the first part of that next chapter. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's she's in this new world. Um, everyone's being very evasive. She has no idea what's going on. She's on stealing cutlery. Alice keeps, keeps telling her to quit asking questions. <laughs> Lucian keeps answering said questions in very weird manners. Tamlin's just trying to give really weird compliments. <laughs> I'm like, what's next? No, that same compliment was in something else, and I can't remember what it was. Yeah, I've seen it before. I'm beginning to think that what I'm thinking of was Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. <laughs> and I don't remember what it was, but it was along those lines where I was like, man, you got game. If someone tells you your hair looks clean. Go for it. I mean, like, they're they're obviously. You're like, thanks. <laughs> Thank Especially you. when it's not. Oh, no. You know what it is? Like, it's when people are like, to me, oh, you're. Not anymore because I cut my hair recently, which is sad. But I had my hair like down to my hips at one point and or more like a little bit above my hips. And everybody's like, your hair is long. Yeah. No, I'm like, like, your hair is bad. And I'm like, mm-hmm. like you. There's, like, how do you want me to answer that? Do you want me to say thank you? Because you didn't give me a compliment. You <laughs> like, just made a I was statement. Born this way. <laughs> made a statement about my hair. You did not say, oh, your hair it's is so long and pretty. For the the gratitude and appreciation of you of them noticing something obvious about yourself. Mm-hmm. Oh, you got a haircut. Mm-hmm. Like if you tell me it looks good, I'll say thank you. But if you just state it. Yeah, what am I supposed to say? So your hair looks clean. Um, but yeah, that's that's where we're at. Your hair looks clean. Um, <laughs> very minor flirting. I hope I hope all of you out there have enjoyed our podcast, and I hope your hair. You, I know your hair looks clean. So, yeah, so we're gonna end it on that note, <laughs> and we'll pick back up and figure out what they're frozen in the forest for in chapter ten. In chapter ten, and we will see you next, next time. time. Dum, dum. <laughs> <laughs> Bye. Bye.